This is a Federal News Network podcast. Old age often comes with chronic disease. Not all of the aged have equal access to the care they need, and so to help improve access, Health and Human Services is asking a wide range of health care providers, academics, startups for information and ideas. Joining me with more on the effort, the Chief Medical Officer in the HHS Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health, Dr. Leith States. Dr. States, good to have you on. Thank you for having me, Tom. Well, tell us about this effort. You're trying to reach out, I guess, broadly to get ideas from whom about what? So to answer the question about about what, essentially, we've seen a lot of things over the past nine months with COVID. One of those things, obviously, has been a widening gap and acknowledgement that existing disparities in care only get worse when a stress is applied to the system. And that's been seen on the home of medically underserved aging populations a bit more than you may have seen in the remainder of the population. So understanding that the government doesn't have all the tools, all the solutions, all the answers, we turn to the external network of stakeholders that we know have a vested interest to find out what can be done and how can the federal government be performing better. And what is your sense of where this type of situation occurs, the underserved? Is it simply a rural area or a poor population area, or can it also happen in urban areas? So that's a very good question, and the way you approach that is spot on, because underserved means different things to different people in different communities. And the RFI was written necessarily with that vague lead-in to allow for urban consideration, for rural consideration, even the middle class having difficulty during this period consideration. It takes all comers, anybody that's not getting access to the evidence base or the standard expectation of care. And I imagine there are also ancillary issues that accompany people in that situation. For example, they might not have enough food. Food insecurity might often accompany, say, a health deficit or health care deficit and they kind of feed on one another. That's certainly right. So uh, nothing happens in isolation, and nothing happens independent of a cycle that feeds in from other determinants. Most of the listeners and yourself have probably heard of the social determinants of health. And it's no mistake that many of these communities that are termed the hotspots or that have an increased proportion of morbidity and mortality related to COVID are in these areas where you may think of having poor infrastructure, poor investment related to many of the social determinants frameworks. So the COVID then is sort of a pile-on for conditions that might have existed beforehand. Yeah, it's one of those situations where if you apply the right stress or apply any stress to the system, you're going to see what it's made of. Just like with an individual, if you apply a certain stress, you're going to see what's underlying. And in many cases, if you have a series of social determinants that have been or lack of access to certain determinants, your body is going to evidence that. Your ability to cope with that is going to be evidence. So you're going to see the increase or outcomes from that. And another way to look at the problem, I suppose, and tell me if this is also how you're looking at it, there are a myriad of federal programs, some huge, some focused, as well as a huge constellation of healthcare providers and a very complex system that we have in the United States. And yet there are these gaps in access to care for certain populations. So are you also looking at it from a program, operational and logistics standpoint, as well as a health standpoint? 
I mentioned to you briefly before we came on air that uh, I'd been in the military for 10 years prior to coming to HHS. And it's always for me, when I approach any consideration like this, the strategic operational and tactical, right? So we do have a whole slew of strategic partners that we should be actively engaged with and doing it in cross-cutting ways. That doesn't always happen, which allows for the classic silos to form and the lackluster performance in terms of what our implementation looks like and the outcomes from that. The partial goal from this is to help increase that crosstalk at a very high level. And as you could probably see in the RFI, we went to pretty significant lengths to make sure there was a variety of input and perspectives that contributed to developing it. So we went outside of just HHS because we know health is a consideration in the quality of life and the ability of a person to thrive, but it's not even close to the only determinant. We're speaking with Dr. Leith States. He's chief medical officer in the office of the Assistant Secretary for Health at Health and Human Services. And you mentioned there is a cross-government effort component to this. What are some of the other agencies with you on this search? Sure. Some of our uh, great collaborators have been the Department of Energy, the Federal Communications Commission, the USDA, the United States uh, Department of Agriculture. Outside of that, we've had low-level discussions with other agencies, but probably one of the more central executive, I guess you'd call them assistant quarterbacks to this, has been the Office of Science and Technology Policy from the White House. And in the reach out, what is it you're seeking? Ideas for how to expand healthcare coverage? Are you looking for data sets on effects in different states and locales? What are you expecting to get back from all of these recipients of the request for information? Sure. So the scope on the RFI was necessarily wide. From our senior leadership, one of the things we wanted to tease out were what are the long poles in the tent? So what are the barriers keeping many of these innovations from getting to the hands of people that need them most? So if that means looking at programmatic, at policy, at regulatory, at community-based organizations, at the state level, the local level, across the spectrum of not just the patient-centered devices such as biosensors, wearables, app-based platforms, but even towards, as you were speaking to, like the data deserts and the food deserts and things that have an implication on the upstream end getting towards patients being able to do the most with the tools available. That's what we wanted to hear from. And that's why it's not just geared towards healthcare providers exclusively. We were hoping for non-clinicians, non-healthcare entities, folks that can really inform the entire landscape from soup to nuts in terms of what's going on in this space. And what happens after all of the data gathering? Well, after all the data gathering, myself and a wonderful team of folks that uh, are gluttons for punishment, we will go through and review submissions provide some summary reports to senior leadership and principals, and have a second round review performed by the true experts that really have skin in the game, as it were, on the federal side, that can help inform this into a document, a path forward that isn't just something to allow for academic thought. We're hoping to pull some high quality ideas that can be run forward with in terms of something we can take action on, something we can form a relationship from, something that can have impact rather than just going back to the shelf and collecting dust. And the leadership team to which you submit all of this information will be different from the one that initiated it. 
as we have a change in administrations, is this the type of program that will transcend whatever policy changes might happen at the political level as they take over HHS? So that's a uh, that might be above your pay grade, but no, no, I think uh, it's it's obviously an elephant in the room that needs to be addressed, right? I've had the good fortune to not only have the support from my existing leadership and have had the addition of being welcomed, I guess, warmly by the incoming landing teams. I believe that this is something that speaks to a bipartisan audience. This gets to I think foundational issues outside of aging, outside of COVID, that can have an impact across multiple uh, multiple issues. No matter how you want to frame them, no matter how you are uh, selling them to your given constituency. So you have spoken to the transition teams. In other words, they're actually happening and coming through to the different agencies, including yours. That's correct. Um, the floodgates have opened. We are having, as far as I can tell, a uh, peaceful discussions, productive discussions. Things are, I, I think, moving along in a way that would be called respectful and amicable on both sides. All right. Dr. Leith State is chief medical officer in the office of the assistant secretary for health at Health and Human Services Department. Thanks so much for joining me. No, thank you, Tom. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 